I am so excited to have my next guest, my friend, Dr. Tina Jaco. Now, she is a licensed clinical social worker in Florida and Georgia and has over two decades of mental health experience. Dr. Jekyll has presented nationally on issues of crisis, trauma, stress, critical incidents, officer-involved shootings, resiliency, and suicide as it pertains to law enforcement. She serves as the mental health training coordinator for several CISM peer support and hostage crisis negotiation teams. She is also a current EAP counselor for police corrections for the Jacksonville, Florida Sheriff's Office. Dr. Jekyll is a plethora of knowledge. She has the experience, the knowledge, and she is sought after, folks, and she is here to pass some of her knowledge and experience on to you, the listener. Do not miss this episode. Dr. Tina Jekyll, next on the CJ Evolution Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Patrick here. Thank you for tuning in to the CJ Evolution Podcast. And if you love the show, please share this episode and other episodes with your family and friends and give us that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We sure would appreciate it. Special shout-out to you. Thank you for doing what you do in the criminal justice field. Very tough environment, but you go out every day and you give it 150%. Remember, you are honored, cherished, and above all, you are loved. Keep up the fantastic work. We all suffer at some point in our lives, personally, professional, or both. I have been in both places. But I reached out for help. I didn't want to stay in that pit I was in. It is time for you to do the same your family, your friends, and above all, you deserve it. Reach out to FHE Health and their Shatterproof Program for First Responders today. You can contact me at 303-960-9819 or 844-650-1399. All calls are confidential. Reach out today. What makes Shatterproof a very unique program is it's one of the only programs in the country that first responders can go to that is 100% all first responders. Everybody's in pretty bad shape when they get here. And then 30 days later, when you can see the transformation and the difference in people when they've had 30 days uh, of counseling, working with therapists, working with a psychiatrist, getting the neuro treatment, doing the breath therapy that's done here. The transformation that happens with the clients is really humbling to be able to work around and see because people are getting better here. And it just shows that there's a need for the first responder community to deal with behavioral health issues and take them seriously and offer treatment to people that may need help out there. They should be afforded the ability to come get help when they need help. It has gotten better, but we still have a long way to go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I'm very excited to have my next guest on the show, Tina Jaco. I can't say enough about this wonderful human being. She is doing so much for our brave men and women who serve every day uh, with her incredible background and incredible services she offers to many agencies around the country. Dr. Tina, welcome. Thank you, Patrick. Thanks for having me here. Oh, gosh. it's such, it's been in the making for a while and yes. we're, both, we're both busy and finally you are here. I get you all to myself for about 30, you 35 do. minutes. And uh, yes, I'm sir, just, you do. I am just blessed you're here, Tina. You are well known uh, in the law enforcement, first responder, veteran communities 
but can you tell the listener, can you tell the viewer mm -hmm. a little bit about your background, man? Absolutely. And the amazing work you're doing out there. Well, first of all, I am been very blessed to do this. Gosh, I'm going on 23 years working with law enforcement mm -hmm. specifically. Uh, and I work with um, agencies from the U.S. Marshals, uh, Fugitive Task Force teams to uh, DOJ, the FBI. Uh, I taught at the FBI Academy at Quatico for about three years as a guest instructor mm -hmm. um, and just numerous local and state agencies. So Mainly what I do, Patrick, is I'm I'm a licensed clinical social worker in the state of Florida. I'm licensed in Florida and also Georgia. And I am, I consider myself a counselor. Um, I do a lot of uh, consulting with agencies, especially as it relates to crisis and trauma, critical incidents, officer-involved shootings, things like that. Sure. Uh, and then I instruct. That's the, the third component of what I do. I'm in private practice. It's my own company. It's just me. I answer my phone. So, um, <laughs> I yeah, it can be a little crazy sometimes. But um, it, it has been an amazing journey. Amazing. I've probably met some of the finest individuals ever, most committed, dedicated um, law enforcement officers I could ever come across. So that's a little bit about my background. I, I'm, um, some would say, freakishly overeducated. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. uh, so if for some reason I decide to go back and get another degree, you probably need to have a discussion, a serious discussion <laughs> with me about that. Um, yeah, but it's it's funny because someone asked me the other day, you know, would you do it again? Of course I would do it again because it allows me to allows me to maybe have more credibility walking in the door. But also I, I teach at a graduate level. So yeah. I'm I'm trying to groom the 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 folks coming coming into the field, right? Because yeah. eventually I'm going to go and sit on my porch and look at the view that's that's behind me and <laughs> retire. Beautiful view. Uh, thank you. So yeah, so that's a little bit about me. Um, you know, I get up every day and I say I can't believe I get blessed to do this. This is yeah. the coolest, and I never have the same day twice. Yeah. Some days I do wake up and go, "What kind of fresh hell awaits me today?" <laughs> uh, but. Uh, but you know, I'm I'm still driven and I'm still passionate about it, and it's my mission and call. Yeah, yeah, I I have the the same mission every day. I I, I wake up. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I've been through treatment. Right. Uh, I went through treatment with Shatterproof, but I, every day I get up and I just want to help one person because if I can help uh, one person, it doesn't necessarily mean getting him into treatment, but if I can right. help one person to to kind of see. Um, you know, a different view of things and kind of realize that they are needed, they are loved, they are cared for, um, then, then I, God has blessed me. So um, I, I want to continue to to give back uh, like you do, because we all need to help each other. You know, we were, we were talking a little bit uh, before we started about, you know, treatment options, options mm -hmm. out there. There's a ton of treatment options out there, a lot more I remember when I started over 20 years ago in law enforcement, we didn't have mm -hmm. anything. We didn't have shit. Well, we had mm -hmm. little stuff here and there. Do you, do you think we're getting better with, with, you know, first responder, mental health, wellness, and addiction, or do you think that we are, we have a long way to go? I, I think that's a great question. Um, I, I think that we are getting better. I think the challenge is um, as, as we discussed before we started today there's been a proliferation of organizations and agencies in the last really in the last 10 years who have stepped up and said we need to do better we need to do more the real challenge is we have to be careful to vet them yeah you know and, and to really be sure that uh do they have the right mission do they have the right motive what is, what is driving them sure 
um, because unfortunately, you know, I call it the glory wagon. You know, they, they like to jump on it and say, yes, we're doing this, this and this. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not about glory. It's about saving lives. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, so, yeah, I, so, that, you know, I, I, I'm a big proponent of, um, you know, first responder only programs uh, versus first responder friendly programs, right? The difference, because I think that that we have to recognize the the cultural needs to put people together so they can also bond. There's a there's a great book, Patrick, and you may be you may be aware of this, but it's called Tribe and it was written by a man by the name of Sebastian Younger, J U N G R. Hmm, and write that down. He he actually um wrote um a book previous to that called War. And he he studied essentially how uh, behavior changes under high levels of stress and crisis and trauma. Um, that actually that book uh, be, eventually became something called Restrepo, which is a documentary that you can watch. But it, they he embedded with a group of soldiers in Afghanistan for about eight months, and he documented how their behavior changed or what you know all of these. All of these things that we do when we're under stress, but when you place people under that extreme stress, how things differ, you know, the the boundaries come off, the rules come off, all of these different things. And I say this because he went on to write Tribe, which essentially says, you know, one of the reasons why we've had people fall through the cracks with the military, according to him and his perspective, is when they come back, they lose their tribe. Exactly. And that's, you know, so in, in the, within those tribes, there's healing. So, you know, I say that to say when we go back to this treatment question, you know, we have to create some semblance of a tribe for first responders. So they have that again to where they are, you know, together um, and not having to deal with the outside forces, but they can begin to heal each other and they don't feel alone. Yeah, right. absolutely. I w- it made me think 100 percent. I was out to dinner uh, a couple nights ago with some friends and they they knew what I did a little bit, but I, I got more in depth with it. And uh, one of them asked me, so well, why is it just first responders only? What makes first responders so special? And I said, look, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm better than you. Right. First responders are. But we see things that the most people never see during the course of their lives. Look, I'm not trying to discount people don't go through suffering and pain, but law mm-hmm. enforcement see it every day. And not just law enforcement, fire, EMS, right. dispatchers, mm-hmm. corrections. So I want to nurses, be nurses, nurses. Yeah. doctors, yeah. Uh, other people. And so Absolutely. that's the beauty, like you mentioned, Tina, that's mm-hmm. the beauty with being in a, in a program like FHE and Shatterproof is, is that it's all first responders. Right. And, and nobody's there to one-up each other on, oh, I have a more right. devastating story. Right. It's just a bunch of first responders, men and women from all mm. different backgrounds mm-hmm. uh, together as a tribe. Exactly. And there's this amazing sense. You, you've toured the facility of togetherness. And, mm-hmm. and look, these are my brothers and sisters. I can share anything with them. Absolutely. You know, so 100%, mm-hmm. you know, and, and yeah, I want to be with other first responders, not because I'm better mm-hmm. than the general public. It's just they they can relate, mm-hmm. and that's huge when it comes to to treatment. Absolutely, and it's not just it's not just for me. It's not just them relating. It's you know within a tribe, there's also those who are going to call you out on your stuff. Right? Uh, no bullshit. <laughs> you know? And who can better do that than another first responder? Right? Exactly. You know, you know get trained. your ego, take your ego and set it aside. You know, do that, do that kind of thing. So, you know, I encourage you to read that book because our book is very, very yeah. powerful. And, you send and, that uh, to me, will you? Yeah. 
or send me uh, the information. Yeah, on. yeah, I will. I'll do it. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, Shatterproof is a beautiful program. I've sent many, many officers there yeah. and they're all doing well. And, uh, you know, I love working with that group a lot. So, so what, do you, what do you see? And maybe this is a broad question. I'll ask you anyway, uh, Dr. Tina. You, you speak to so many people out there mm-hmm. around the country. What do you see with first responders that are suffering the, the reoccurring, reoccurring theme? You know, the, the, the one of the biggest things that they're struggling with. Uh, well, I mean, unfortunately, morale is in the tank because yeah, we're seeing people why. left. And uh, I mean, I can't imagine why. <laughs> uh, and you know, I'm, I I have a wonderful opportunity to be interesting, and I, I should do a follow up session se- uh, session with you to talk about how it goes. But I'm I'm teaching this week in Atlanta the Use of Force Summit. Uh, we're, we've probably got 200 police commanders from 15 different states coming, so it'd be interesting because this is one of the questions I'm actually going to pose to them. So, what is it? You know, and because it's so it's so typically so different when you're talking, you know, frontline patrol officers versus, you know, those who are running the running the show. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think a, I think there's a big part of morale. I think that there is, um, unfortunately, in the last probably year to two years, we've kind of created this perfect storm for officers be, between, you know, changing presidents, um, economic issues. Um, you know, low numbers. I mean, almost every agency I know, you know, they're losing officers left and right. Um, less people want to come in. So I, I really see it as a cumulative factor yeah. where it's just heavy on their shoulders. Plus, you know, in some places still the pay is just crap. Yeah. So um, what I try to do and, and, and you know, I'm, you've gotten to know me a little bit, but I'm, I'm very much a problem solver. If yeah. I'm not one that's going to sit around and bitch about this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. We got it. Okay. We see what the issue is. So what are we going to do? Yeah. And um, so one of the things that, that I speak on nationally is a best practices model that we were able to create at the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, who um, they are the 25th largest agency in the nation and have um, about 2,200 on the street and about 650 corrections. Yeah. So I am a primary EAP counselor, so I work only with police and corrections um, and absolutely love it. Uh, They come to see me for counseling. But what we did um, in the fall of 2017, I sat down with the sheriff at that time, Sheriff Mike Williams and the undersheriff. And I said, listen, um, we need to do better for your folks because they used to have an in-house unit, um, psychological unit, but it was in-house and staffed by people who actually worked for the sheriff's office. So you know where I'm going with this. Yes. So there was obviously some serious mistrust. Um, as politics do get involved, the mayor of the city basically said, you know what, we're going to get rid of it. It doesn't seem to work. Let's cut the funding to it. So they got rid of it. So they really didn't have much of anything in place. So they still had their other EAP, what I call the other EAP, but they don't, they're not trained in law enforcement culture. Yeah. So there's always that. And plus, I mean, I've never been so grateful to be so specialized because all of my colleagues who work in general mental health are so slammed. It's it's unbelievable right yeah. now, yeah. Uh, especially as we come out of COVID. So I sat down and I said, listen, um, I'm going to propose something. And I know it's going to sound odd, but how about um, I don't I don't want to work for the sheriff's office. I want to work with you as a consultant like I've done with other agencies. So we essentially negotiated a part of the budget set that money aside and um they basically said you run it 
we don't, whatever you want to do with it. And I said, I, I had to look behind myself, Patrick, like, am I being punked? Because I don't think I've ever heard that from a, you know, I'm like, I'm a social worker. You're like, what? You're going to pay me what? No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and, and sure enough, um, so what we did is we set up this program where they can contact me directly. I can do telehealth. Um, I can do in person. I have this offsite office. Um, that has a big comfy love seat and um, the sergeants, I mean, they've got policies in place now where the sergeants will allow people to come on duty if they need to just to come unload. Uh, but where the where the most important component that I see um, is getting in at the front end. Um, my, my platform has always been we have to start at the beginning. We have to start at the beginning because we're waiting in these, you know, 15 to 20 year cops where we're seeing those desperate moments, you know, because that's right about 15 to 20 years is where we see highest level burnout, alcoholism, divorce, um, suicide, you know, all of those things. So I went back to him and I said, what I'd like to do is get in front of your recruits, every recruit class, police and corrections, every recruit class and teach an eight hour course and in stress and trauma and resiliency and PTSD and all of these things. And they never even blinked. So I work with the I work with the red shirts. I work with the academy staff. Huge academy. I mean, they 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 run four or five classes a, a, a year of forty each. I mean, they're they're they running people through there left and right, in part because of attrition. Um, so I do that, but as part of that, and this has kind of organically come to pass. So to to dovetail with that, uh, last year. Um, in 21, I was approached by a, a training sergeant who was also a use of force expert for the agency. And so he sits on the response to resistance boards. He takes a look at it. But what was happening was, is when he was talking to the officers who were in shootings, um, he actually, they would break down to him. They would be anxious and, and upset. And of course, they didn't have anybody to talk to. Now, that's not to say that Jacksonville doesn't have a a good SISM and peer support team. The overarching team is there. But what was happening is there weren't any that had the experience of going through a shooting. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So when they were showing up on scene, the guy's like, I'm not going to talk to you. You I've basically been told, you know, by FOP and attorneys and everybody don't talk to anybody. Right. So he came to me and he said, what what are your thoughts about setting up a specific OIS team? Mm -hmm. Um, peer support team. And I said, well, you know, I've never done it, but the agent, this agency is large enough that we can do it. And the number of shootings is large enough. And we've had several shootings this year, or I should say less shootings, but more officers involved. Sure. Okay. So we did that. So we stood up that program. We initially trained 13 officers, all who were hand selected, all had been through um, OIS, all had been cleared, uh, both through RTR and the state attorney's office. Uh, and I trained them for two days. Patrick, I will tell wow. you out of out of, you know, and I ran that class a couple of times and I've never seen more healing in two days. It's amazing. Than than those men coming to those warriors coming to the table and telling their stories, some of them for the very first time. Yeah. Because we were in a, you know, we're in a boardroom or in a private conference room. You know, talking about the impacts on families because these guys are willing to step up. These folks, And we had one female. She she decided policing wasn't for her. I get it. No worries. And but she served on the team and served beautifully. So I say all of this to say it's a very unique approach that we've done. So the way we've set it up and it's grown over time, we're actually at the end of this month, we're going to train nine more. 
um, because essentially right now all of our peer supporters are are attached to somebody because sure. we've had um, so much activity. But the idea is that um, we're catching it early. Uh, so as soon as it happens, I may, sometimes I see it on the news. Sometimes I get the text um, from the sergeant. Um, sometimes the, the the team members themselves, who I've become very good friends with, just getting to know them through this process, will let me know there's been a shooting. And then we decide who who do we need to assign to this officer or officers. Mm-hmm. And so we ask them to contact them within probably, you know, about 24 hours. This is who I am. I'm on the OIS SISM team. I'm going to be following along with you. It doesn't take the place of, of the overarching team. It just adds a specialty component to it. Mm-hmm. So the coolest thing for me is that um, these officers who were falling through the cracks because they 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 didn't they weren't connected to me they weren't connected to a peer, so these team members have become essentially my eyes on the ground, right? Yeah. Um. So so recently we had one um a, a difficult shooting and um you know what I what I do is as soon as I know enough about what's going on, I call the peer supporter and I staff it. So what is your what you know, what do you, how do you think they're doing? What are you seeing? I get some information from the sergeant that that I may or may not can share. You know, it may be something sure. that's yeah. under investigation. But what I'm what I'm doing, Patrick, is I'm making a mental note in my head to say, hey, you know what? This is this may very well become an issue down the road. Right. Um, like what if I you know hear that the media might get involved? Right. And it, then it becomes our job to help prepare this officer for the fact that do not be surprised. And in addition to that, we'll talk to their family. But I don't take the place again of the peer supporter. So in this particular case with this this officer, I just come alongside the peer supporter. Mm-hmm. So in addition to him continuing to follow the officer, I'm seeing him in counseling. Yeah. And, you know, so there's that extra support. So we we've created a tribe. Um, Amazing. I, I'm, I mean, I'm so honored just to be a part of it and watch how it's working. So these, so to go back to the academy. Um, so when I teach, I teach, you know, most of the morning and some in the afternoon. And then after in the afternoon, two or three of these guys who have been through these events actually come and talk. And so t- and they talk about their experiences and it becomes again, more part of their healing, right? Sure. Therapeutic. And then, Absolutely. So they do that. So, you know, so my OIS team does a lot of support for me when I train and back up. And if they hear anything, I mean, it is we envisioned it. We just had no idea how how amazing it was going to be. It it is amazing, Tina. I mean, you're doing such you're an amazing human being. You're doing God's work. Thank you. Very kind. The the one aspect of it, it's all Mm -hmm. amazing and much needed work is, is that leadership is on board with it. Absolutely. I think that's my biggest frustration with some organizations. Mm-hmm. You know, you speak to a lot is, is that a lot of leadership, or I shouldn't say a lot, but some leadership are, are doing this yeah. and they're not, look, I believe in awareness. Okay. Awareness mm-hmm. is great, but where's the friggin' mm-hmm. action behind it? You right. are, you are providing the action. Right. Because you, we can, we can talk about awareness all day. Okay. What's behind it. And the fact that you were able to say, look, this is how I envision in leadership, sign off on it and saying, yeah, we're on board is huge with the troops on the front level. Because I talk to people all the time, as do you, Dina, where they're frustrated with their brass. They don't think Absolutely. leadership has their back. And right. in some cases, they don't. 
Right. Look, I understand right. they have jobs. They have people to answer to. It's political. I get that shit. It's all right. important. Right. But people are not flocking. You mentioned attrition. People are not flocking to law enforcement anymore. When mm -hmm. I like in, in the droves they used to when I first mm -hmm. became a cop. So we need to take care of our people. We have to better. Our human capital is the central greatest thing we have. In any organization, not just Absolutely. in law enforcement, you know that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying I'm not talking about the bad seeds, the bad, the problem childs that need to get fired. Not. But when you mm -hmm. have first responders out there, and I'm mm -hmm. preaching to the choir with you, that are fed up, you know, they're struggling, and and you know, senior staff or whatever, sergeants, supervisors, they kind of, all oh, right, well, it's just it's part of the culture. You just got to deal with it, suck it up. That's bullshit. Yeah. They need to put action behind it, and thank God right. that you are doing your amazing work and you were able to convince senior staff in a very large organization. Mm -hmm. Hey, absolutely. You're doing more. And thank absolutely. God you're doing, you're doing it. And they signed off. On it. I, so I guess my point in all that is we need to do better in senior leadership because it all starts with leadership. I agree. You I agree. Know, and, right? and, you know, and it's, it, and it's going to be interesting because one of the things that I'm discussing on, on Friday is, this whole idea of moral injury, you know, what mm -hmm. creates moral injury for, for officers. And one of the things that does is basically having a, a conflictual relationship with a senior leader, yeah. um, you know, and being told to do something that perhaps goes against their own morals or values. Um, it, but it's, you know, I, I don't expect that, um, you know, there's ever going to be a very large shift between leadership and how they're seeing, you know, boots on the, those with boots on the ground. But you never know. I mean, I, I guess maybe that's what I hold on to when I hear the negativity about, oh, you can't change this crap. It's always going to end like, yeah, but, you know, no, you, you, might always hope. you might be surprised. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's always hope. hope. We're all, we're all change agents. Right. But yeah. the, the people uh, at the top, they're mm -hmm. the ones that that set the tone. Right. Absolutely. The that set the culture for the most part of an organization. Absolutely. It frustrates me when I hear people, troops. Right. Um, you know, say, I, I don't feel like they, they I trust them. I don't mm -hmm. feel like, and I was like that in my career at certain points. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and some of it is, you know, we're all human beings. We all have needs and wants and all. I get that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what a perception is reality, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Especially for them out there trying to just do the job every day. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, and I, I think you probably, because you're on my Facebook page, I think you probably saw my quote recently. And I'm a I big did. believer in that. Listen, I do believe in transparency. I do believe that we Absolutely. have to be have positive relationships with community. You know, police, are, police is the public, public is the police, right? Um, throw some Sir Robert Peel in there, right? Um, but at the same time, you know, they're just, just there's still no lack of urgency about helping these officers through these shootings. And they'll say they have SISM teams and they'll say that. I mean, but it's 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 a band-aid. I mean, we've got to really address this early, early on. And I am not I'm completely separate from fitness. for. I don't do anything fitness for duty. But yeah, they have a forensic psychologist who does that. I'm also yeah. about support, uh, support and education and counsel. You know, so the other side of this program that we set up was that. They set the money aside, and this is this is another thing agencies struggle with because they have to let go of some control and tr and they have to trust my integrity, right? So they put the money aside, and at the, at the end of every month, I bill by hour. I never bill by name, so they have no idea who I'm talking to, and yeah. there's not this big paper trail or anything like that. The officers can come see me as much or as little as they like, and they never pay a dime. 
So, you know, it's just, that's, that's my journey to walk with them. So it's, it's, it's just been really cool to see it all come together. Tina Jekyll, you are an amazing human being. Thank you. You're very kind. And, And I would thank you for doing what you're doing. You are touching and helping so many brave men and women out there. And uh, I would love love to have you back on so we can talk about other topics that you are an expert on. Now, if people want to reach out to you, how can you're all over? I I get that. But what's the best way to contact you? Uh, They can actually just reach out to me by email. Um, uh, And it's funny because you're going to laugh at this email because it's it's been around so long. But (laughs) it's just my first initial last name, T-J-A-E. C-K-L-E at bellsouth.net. Wow, that's original. I mean, that's like... <laughs> I know, right? I know, right? I need to get I need to get a more original. I, I, I thought about it. I need to come up with something really snazzy. I'm like, hey, I've had this thing for No, it's short, sweet, 40 to the years. Point. Any final words of wisdom, guidance that you can give the listener before we take off? Just keep hoping, but step out of the box. And Absolutely. and try and try some of these unique creative ways of doing things. And if you're in police leadership, for goodness sakes, don't be afraid to do it because you might be surprised at how well it actually works. But we Absolutely. we just, you know, we gotta get away from this mentality of we've always done it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's that culture shift, culture change Absolutely. that we need to work on changing. Tina Jaco, God bless you, my friend. Back at I will you. be talking to you soon. For the listener, Sounds everything good. we talked about will be in the show notes. God bless everybody. Take care until next time. Sounds good. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the CJ Evolution Podcast. For more strategies for self-improvement and resources based on today's episode, be sure to head to cjevolution.com. You can also connect to Patrick directly on social media at Pat underscore Fitzgibbons with any questions, comments, or concerns. We look forward to helping you find more personal success on the next episode of the CJ Evolution Podcast.